haven't um, been here every week or, you know, this is so, this is the, the longest series in the history of Hamilton Reformed Church. We started well over a year ago. Um, and we started with part five, and part five was um, no greater love. So we, we uh, talked about how um, what Jesus suffered on the day of his crucifixion went far beyond the nails. It was the fact that the weight of the sins of all of us and for, for throughout history were put on him, and God turned his back on Jesus and rejected him. Um, and I will click. So the next, I think it was in September then, that was during Lent. In September, I think we, we did the, the one about... Um, what God did at creation, in addition to creating a beautiful world, of, you know, delicious food and a very interesting environment for us, he put a tree in the garden, which was really our only means to love God back, and we failed. Um, but what a sacrifice of God to let, allow hit us to hurt him in, in that way. Um, the next one we did was uh, right at uh, we, we, we missed Christmas, and so on January 1, we did about, well, what did Jesus give up just to come to earth, to, to become fully human and fully God at the same time? What did, he, what, did God, what did Jesus give up? Today, we are going to talk about um, two events from Jesus' ministry life so one at the very, very beginning and one at the a very, very end. There are a multitude of things. We could talk about how Jesus sacrificed in between those two points, but I think these two are um, particularly telling, and then they, they show how much sacrifice he did through the span of his ministry. And first, right, you're wondering, well, why did we do such a weird thing when we were greeting? So. I don't know, I, I mean, I'm tempted now to go back to Jack right now and go, Hi, morning, Jack, because it feels funny to have skipped him. And you might feel the same way, so when we're all done, you just go find that person and you shake their hand and say good morning. But it feels f weird, doesn't it? To, to, because even though you were given that instruction, don't you have the slight, just this little thing about, well, why me? You know, you could have picked somebody else to skip. And of course, it has nothing to do with anything going on. It was just an instruction. And yet, it, it's like, that doesn't feel right. So we're going to talk, and this is, and keep in mind, right, friends and family and brothers and sisters, right? So we're all together, and we love the greeting time together, and so to just to have that happen with one other person, it's like, that's it's rough. So now let's take a look at one of the first events in Jesus' ministry time. Now, he had just not, and we don't know the exact time, but it wasn't very, it wasn't probably even months probably before he goes to Nazareth. He was baptized, and he comes out of the Jordan full of the Holy Spirit, is led into the desert to be tempted, and then he goes to Galilee. And in Galilee, he starts to do his ministry, and he does his first miracles in that region. In particular, we're told in Capernaum. 
So he has now changed water into wine. He has healed people. And news of that is already starting to spread. It's spreading very quickly. So right after he's done a little bit of this, not very long, we read this. We read this. Then Jesus came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. So that's important because these are people that he knows well, that know him well, that are welcoming him back. Now, we don't know how long he was away from Nazareth, but it seems like it was a while. And these are family and friends and people he probably worked with and maybe went to, you know, they certainly went to synagogue with. And as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath. And when he stood up to read, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. So the other thing about this to note is, well, he just shows up. I'm sure if some, you know, farmer from Nazareth had come back, he doesn't get to go into the synagogue and read and then preach. So they already know Jesus got something going on that's probably worth listening to. So they invite him to be the preacher on this Sabbath. So when he stood up to read the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed him, unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. So this is also, well, everything's significant, isn't it? He found the place where it was written. Now, he's probably got the whole thing, or at least a good chunk of Isaiah. But he specifically went and chose this passage to read to his friends and family. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And that's what, as much as he wrote and he sat down. And you may think, oh, then he was done. It's like, right, we understand when they were in the synagogue, you stood up to read Scripture, you sat down to preach, to, to, to give the lesson. So now he's read this, and he sits down. And the first thing he says, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now that has got to set people back a little bit. Like, well, that's interesting, right? It's, <laughs> it's like the handshake. It's the hook. Like, well, you got me interested now. I'm right with you. Now, all of the Gospels right here give you the di distinct impression, and I'm pretty sure, you know, accurately, that they were, people were just like hanging on his every word. They were right with him. One of the Gospel writers says they were amazed. Because he hadn't done much yet, but he's probably been with them a little while, so maybe they're already getting a sense. It's like, wow, this is pretty special. So, what's important about that part of it is, I'm not saying he has them where, they, where he wants them, but he has them where we would want them. 
you, wouldn't you want everybody to go, wow, this, Jesus is awesome. We just love listening to you. We could just listen to you all day. But Jesus understands what they're thinking. And instead of letting them be there and giving a nice little sermon, he goes down a different path. So he, again, is continuing with the lesson now. Surely you will quote me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. What that is implying is, as the next statement kind of gets to, wow, you did some healing in Capernaum. How about you do it here? This is your hometown. These are your people. You'd think you would be doing it here. But the, but the question that's on the minds of the, the people who are listening is a little deeper than that. Do here in your hometown what we have heard you done in Capernaum. Now, that kind of sounds fairly innocent, but think, there's a couple of other examples that make you go, oh, that's not that innocent a question. Because remember, Jesus knows what's on their mind. You'll, you will recall a, an instance where the Pharisees say to Jesus, what miraculous sign will you show us to prove you're the Messiah? And you know the Pharisees' hearts weren't in the right place. And doesn't this question kind of smell like that a little bit? What are you going to do for us? And if that's not, if the Pharisees isn't enough of an example, not very long before this, Jesus is in the wilderness being tempted by the devil. Listen to this question, which you will you will, uh, will ring, ring a bell, I think. If you are the Christ, turn these stones into bread. Do a little something for me here. Prove that you, can, you have control over the elements of the, the world that you supposedly created. Just show me something. I was struck by how close that is to what's on the minds of these people in Nazareth. Show us, show us what you, the things you did like you did in Capernaum. We want to see it. We want to make sure. And that's where Jesus is like, yeah, yeah, no, 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 no. You are not, we're not going there. Because every time Jesus is asked to do that, he never does it. So he goes on, truly I tell you, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. So he's telling them what they're already, what they already know. But I tell you truthfully that there were many widows in Israel in the time of Elijah when the sky was shut for three and a half years and a great famine swept over the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to the widow in Zarephath in Sidon. And the people in that synagogue know full well what Jesus is saying. Why was Elijah not sent to any of the widows to help them in Israel? Because at the time, the faith of the people in Israel was awful. 
there wasn't enough faith in all of Israel to warrant Elijah going there. And Jesus goes on. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet. Yet he was not, he didn't cleanse any of them, only Naaman the Syrian. So this, at this point, they know where Jesus is going. Oh, you're telling us we don't have enough faith. So you know, I don't have it here, but you know probably what goes on, right? They grab him, drag him out of the synagogue, take him to the brow of the hill where they're going to throw him down and kill him on the Sabbath, no less. So they were really upset because you would never do that on the Sabbath. And remember that minutes ago, Jesus had them in the palm of his hand, but he would not let them stay there. As much as that might have been really nice for him to have his friends and family and everyone say, what a great thing you're doing. You know, we love having you here. We love hearing what you have to say. He didn't allow it, and instead he knew what was going to happen. They turn on him because he's telling them their hearts are not in the right place. So he sacrifices the adoration and the love of his closest, the people who were closest to him because he knew what was better for them. It was better for them to be that angry over what, and know that their hearts weren't in the right place. Now, that's quite the sacrifice. I mean, imagine if when we did our handshake thing, no one shook your hand. So he did it just to, like, that doesn't feel good at all. And yet, there, there was what Jesus, that's what Jesus did because he knew it was going to be best for them in the long run. Second story, that was the first. We're going to go ahead to what was, let's say, the last 21 hours of Jesus' life um, living before he was crucified, before he died. Now, I know if you look up images of this, and I put, I've got some here, but if you look up images of that last Passover, they're just beautiful scenes. Kind of like when we talked about Christmas. It's like, oh, Christmas, it's so, it, it, you know, it's so nice. It's twilight. The gas lamps are burning. We're getting together for a meal with our close, close friends. The scenes are very warm and inviting. But like we did at Christmas time, let's look at it from Jesus' perspective. Because remember here, Jesus knows exactly what's going to happen in the next 21 hours because he predicts it multiple times. And he predicts it multiple times during this evening. So first, just to show you that even Jesus thought this was going to be a warm and beautiful event. And, it, and don't get me wrong, it was. Our sacrament of the Lord's Supper was instituted right this night, 
Now, I'm not, I'm, we're going to take that and set it aside for now. We're not going to talk about the Lord's Supper t- today. So I want you to focus on what Jesus had to go through uh, on this night, okay? But listen to what he says. And he said to them, I have eagerly de- I desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. So he sets the tone right away. I'm so happy to be here with you today. But he lets them know what's coming before I suffer. So you would kind of think that his close, close friends, the closest people to him, short of probably his mother on earth, and he just let, you know, lets them know again, not the first time, again, I'm about to go down this very dark road that I have to travel. So even if they, you know, and, and um, boy, it sounds like I'm bashing the disciples here. Let's be clear, right? They are us. They are, that's me. Like, I would have done everything I think those disciples did, and I think all of you would too. So let's not say, oh, those, those disciples, wow, phew, I wouldn't have done that. Yeah, I think you would, because I'm pretty sure I would have. In retrospect, it's pretty easy, but at the time, I'm sure we all would have done it. So he set the tone. He wanted so much to be with them. And he lets them know again, I'm about to suffer. So let's look around at who he's having supper with. First, let's go over here. Well, it's Thomas. So Thomas has seen everything that the disciples have seen. Jesus walks on water. He stills a storm. He heals people. He brings people back from the dead. Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. Now, Jesus knows Thomas. He knows that. Can you imagine how much that must hurt? You're my friend. We've been through all this stuff together. And yet, no, I'm not buying it. That's got to be tough to take. Okay, Thomas, off off you and let's move on. Peter, you are supposed to be the leader of all these disciples, an example to everyone else. When your brothers are, you know, weak, lift them up, Peter, Jesus told them. You're the guy, and I expect to be able to pull them all together. Then he began to call curses down, and he swore to them, I don't know the man. And again, Jesus is at this meal. He's the one that predicts it. He knows where Peter really is, despite the fact that Peter said, oh, I'd never do that. 
And of course, as we know, it gets worse. So from the psalmist who predicted it, even my close friend, that's why I like this verse, even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. Now, maybe we think, oh, yeah, Judas, he wasn't the good guy anyway. It's not what that says. So he was a friend. I imagine how much that hurt. I found this quote. Uh, oh, sorry, one more. This is just the evidence of, uh, that the prediction came true. When Jesus said this, this is still at the meal, he became troubled in spirit and testified and said, truly, truly, I say to you that one of you will betray me. And this, this is the quote. The saddest thing about betrayal is that it never comes from your enemies. So these are people very close to Jesus. So that's, that's a quarter of the disciples right there, like, whew, not doing so well. How about the rest? Let's look at the rest. Again, Jesus' prediction. A time is coming and, in fact, has come when you will all be scattered, each to your own home. And then Jesus makes it really personal. You will leave me all alone. It wasn't just that they would be scattered. Jesus felt that desertion. You will leave me all alone. And it, of course, comes true. Then everyone deserted him. So despite that picture, let's take a look around the room. And Jesus knows it. Betrayer, doubter, denier, deserter, 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 deserter. That's what Jesus is going through at this Last Supper. And if you think, <laughs> how, 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 bad, how bad can it get, right? So when Jesus says this, while they were eating, truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. 
What did the, you probably recall, what did the disciples say? Now, it says they were troubled that he said it. They, they had better be. But what do they do? And I read a bunch of commentaries about this, and I think they, uh, you know, okay, they know more than I do. I know that, but I think they missed the point, these commentaries. Because they were all, oh, yeah, the disciples were all sad about it. Like, yeah, I'm sure it troubled them, but listen to what they say. Surely you don't mean me, Lord. Does that sound like concern over about Jesus to you? Let me paraphrase. You don't mean me, right? And they went around the room. Right? Not me. Who's that sound like they're worried about? Me. So Jesus tells them what, that he's going to be betrayed, and what are they worried about? Me. Not thinking about Jesus. They didn't say, oh, Lord, that's awful. What, what can we do? You don't mean me, right? That has got to also be so painful. You don't even, didn't you know what I just told you? And then, right after he's got him telling him that he's going to be betrayed, a dispute breaks out among them as to which one's going to be the greatest. That's why I'm pretty sure that the, you don't mean me, right, was a selfish question. Because look at that. Right after he says that, they're talking about which one's the greatest, not about what Jesus is going to have to go through. At this point in the meal, you've got to be thinking, wow, <laughs> here's a teaching moment. Jesus, go get them. Let them know how selfish they're being. That is not what he does. What does Jesus do under those conditions? He got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. Drying them with a towel, he wrapped it was wrapped around him. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Then he said, you understand what I've done for you? What a good time for that question. Because up until now, it really doesn't seem like you've been paying attention here. I'm going to suffer for you. But what does Jesus do instead of criticizing? He washes their feet. 
Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set an example that you should do as I have done for you. Well, amen to that. The whole night you are all selfishly thinking about yourselves, despite the circumstances. And so I'm going to show you how to act. I'm going to wash your feet. That's a lot of love right there, and a lot of patience. Now, we could, uh, you know, say, well, how do we apply this message to our lives, right? Jesus tells us, I've set an example for you. You should do as I have done for you. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, your patience and your love go beyond what we can imagine. And we are just like those disciples. We go about our week. We don't listen to what you're really saying. We go about worrying about ourselves. So forgive us for our selfishness. And help us, Lord, to see, to see a way for us to act more out of love and patience as you did. And as we do that, that the world may notice that difference in us and may come to know you and your love the way that you taught to those disciples and the way that you're teaching us today. In your name we pray. Amen. Now may the patience of God, the love of Jesus, and the peace of the Holy Spirit go with you this week and forevermore. Amen.